Welcome to another episode of The Solar Podcast. Today, Dave is talking with Corey Vanderpool, founder of Spark. Join us as they discuss the post-installation challenges facing consumers and how Corey's company, Spark, is creating the tools that help homeowners recapture the value of their solar systems when it's time to sell. It all starts now on The Solar Podcast. Well, welcome to Solar Podcast. I'm Dave Anderson, your host. I'm thrilled to have with us today, Corey Vanderpool. Corey is actually an author, entrepreneur, uh, an investor. He's also the host of his own podcast as well called The Solar Broadcast that can be seen on all of the podcasting channels and distributed broadly. He's also working on another book. Uh, so we're going to be thrilled to talk to him today about his existing work on his company called Spark. Uh, we'll certainly dive into some of the things that he's talked about uh, in his previous book, as well as some of the research that he's doing on his existing and current book. So again, thrilled to have Corey on us as well. Corey, I'd love to have you introduce yourself to the audience today as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave. Um, yeah, I've been in the solar industry for about 10 years now. Um, I mostly on the residential side, um, was in real estate before that, back in real estate now, larger with what I do. Um, but just ran up against a, a big problem with a lot of the homeowners that we had taken solar with real estate uh, agents. And so about two and a half years ago, dove into like why we were getting so much opposition from them and really discovered a lot of challenges there. And, and it's been a really fun journey in like not only discovering the challenges, but helping to create and pioneer some solutions around that. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, to be honest with you, so I've been in solar for actually 13 years. And uh, some of the people that were actually the biggest people that were resisting the movement of helping customers go solar were actually real estate agents. And the reason was, is because it complicated, particularly early days of solar, it complicated the transaction. So uh, real estate agents didn't know how to price it. They didn't understand the value of it. They didn't understand uh, the intricacies and the complications associated with some of the financing products. And so it actually, for most real estate agents, they would tell homeowners like, look, it's, it's better to not go solar because going solar is just going to complicate it when you try to go sell this, this really important investment asset you have, which is your home. So, and uh, something that we're certainly going to want to dive into. So Corey, uh, obviously you've, you, you've spent time as a residential uh, installer. You've done everything in the solar game. Uh, maybe give us a little bit more background specifically on your company, Spark, and what the focus is for the company. Yeah, with, with Spark, what our objective was, was we went into um, trying to, again, understand this challenge, not to like find another way to make money in the res you know, in the solar industry, but to really like, like find out like why we were getting so much opposition and uh, around uh, the real estate transactions involving solar, kind of what you're talking about. And, um, you know, what we discovered is that there just wasn't a lot of the um, needed tools out there. For example, if you go to buy a car, you can go jump on Kelly Blue Book, right? And you can find uh, a great evaluation that gives you a good market-based understanding. But that doesn't, it hasn't existed. And so we had to create those tools. We um, we wanted to make sure that solar doesn't, didn't lose the base foundation that we have in terms of value because, you know, we're, we're you know, we just topped over 3 million solar homes in the United States. You know, and if the average system has got a system on it, a home that's got thir worth $30,000, you know, you look at the economics of that, the resale value, if when they go to resale, if they recapture zero of that, you know, and which happens all too often, um, you know, then that's going to really destroy our ability to have a resale value. If, you know, if you were selling a car for $60,000 and you tried to resell that in three years and you got $5,000 for it, there's no way that all you manufacturer will be able to stay in business because no one's going to keep buying their cars. And so, you know, that is really challenging. Um, but so Spark, we created um, really to, to help facilitate 
um, education for uh, homeowners and agents post-install because too many times homeowners, after the solar guy's gone, uh, they're pretty clueless about what they've got on their roof, what agreements are tied to it, you know, because there's not a lot of financial incentive for installers um, to really connect with uh, or, or salespeople for that matter. But with the homeowner post-installation, there's actually, uh, you know, mostly the, uh, financial disinterest to do that, right? It costs money to do that uh, because there's not a lot of like revenue for these, you know, organizations post-installation. Yeah, so much we can talk about there. In fact, I've actually had many conversations with just appraisers who, I mean, it's their one job to be able to assess the value of the home. And you can get different appraisers that are assessing the value of solar in so many different ways. Uh, so maybe I'd love for you to explain, Corey, what are some of the things that you've seen in terms of how people are both assessing as well as being able to recapture the value of solar for the new homeowner when they go to sell the house? It's a yeah, big part great. of it's a it's a huge part of solar is, is the consideration of what happens after I move or when I move or when I sell my home. I would say it's the number one question asked in every single transaction involving so like when I when when a salesperson goes in, it's the number one question, right? What happens when I move? You know, this is not a it's not a three year thing, right? This is a solar is gonna be on a long time. Uh, the biggest factor that we found when 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 we run into professionals that are dealing with this that don't understand it is they'll compare it against something that they do understand, right? So an appraiser will say, well, uh, I don't know solar, but I know pools. And so we'll give a similar type of valuation what we did with pool or, you know, so there is um, some some valuation typically given. Um, I'll, I'll tell you uh, for sure, uh, there is great data out there that backs up the value. And we didn't create the the data um, there's actually been some significant national studies over the last uh, uh, decade over around that. Um, the Berkeley National Institute's done a lot of that uh, research for us um, to understand what that looks like. But the problem is, like, no one really had made it their objective to provide that like validated information. I shouldn't say no one, but very few. So that way, universally, they have them, and so you get an uh, an agent or an appraiser coming in, and so they're going to say, well. This isn't worth, uh, you know, nothing. It's worth something, but I don't know what it's worth. And so if I got to go sit in the court of law, you know what? I could say it's worth 5,000 bucks, right? And so they might give $5,000 if they have no data to back that. Uh, but the appraisal institute says, you know, if you have the data, then you should attribute it, but it really should come from a disinterested third party. And so that's why they look to, you know, someone like, again, a Kelly Blue Book to provide some some uh, disinterested third-party value. But that's just even if you have someone who understands what to do. But the most common practice is it's not worth nothing. So let's give it something. But what we find is that when they're presented with the data, they're really good about utilizing it. It's just they need the data. Yeah, I think uh, something to that, that's kind of interesting about this entire process is, is there's two different kind of use cases that you really need to talk about. We talk about solar fairly generically or fairly generally, but there's really a couple of different ways of going solar, obviously, right? So you have third-party owned, which is your lease or your PPA products, PPAs meaning power purchase agreements, where someone else actually owns the system, puts it on your house, and you become the end user of it. And essentially you get uh, the benefit of discounted electricity. And so people want to know, hey, this is going to be on the house for the next 20, 25 years. It's going to transfer to the next homeowner. What's the impact in terms of my ability to sell the home? Because there's two things that matter. How much is this going to affect my ability to, to resell the home? Meaning, is it harder or easier to sell my house? The second thing is, is how much is it going to affect the cost 
of the house? You know, is it going to be an, uh, an increase or a decrease? Is it going to be thought of as a as a benefit or a liability? Uh, and so yeah. the second use case is when someone owns the solar. And even when they own the solar, almost all instances, homeowners are typically financing the solar, either through a loan or through a home equity line of credit. So there's a loan that has to be considered. And gen generally, it has to be uh, the loan will have to be paid off at the time of the transaction. It doesn't carry forward to the next homeowner. And so I don't know, has Spark done much research or has has it done much by way of trying to help under uh, homeowners understand the difference between what would be considered a third-party owned system versus a, an owned system in terms of assessing the value? What What's a solar lease? No, I'm just kidding, Dave. Uh, wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> oh, okay. We're starting foundational here. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, definitely. It's the biggest distinguisher between uh, value and the the process, right? So, like exactly what you said, when, the, when we have to like look at a system, there is always the first question: who owns it? And that's really how you understand whether value will be attributed or not. And I'll just tell you the rule of thumb across the board: if third party owns, so your lease, your PPAs, even some people are have their their uh, solar system owned by a utility company. It's pretty rare, but there are some utility companies who own you know, distributed power systems on people's roofs. Um, even any of those cases, if you don't own the system, in other words, if you don't own it outright or have a loan, like you said, um, then it's really going to not impact resale value whatsoever. So you're not going to get any kind of uh, contributory value to the value of the home if it's not owned by it. But um, the data shows, and we find the same thing, that a lease system, right, third-party owned, doesn't decrease value. So if you have like a lease or a PPA, that shouldn't decrease your value. The, the challenge that we find in the transaction is relevance. So, so many uh, buyers come in and see a lease payment as another HOA payment. And they're like, why would I want another HOA payment? That sucks, right? And so what we do with Spark is we make it relevant. We're like, okay, you've got this big of a system facing this direction. That's, yes, you have a $100 payment on there, but it's offsetting a $250 electricity bill. That's why it's relevant. And so buyer acceptance and buyer valuation, whether they want to do it or not, all depends on information, whether they understand it or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, only 9% of people have solar, have it owned outright. But, uh, you know, 67% of solar people going solar today are doing it through a loan. And, you know, very few, it, it's like the, the numbers are definitely dropping on the lease side, uh, you know, or, you know, PPA lease, you just all put all third party owned in there. Um, but we, we found that uh, definitely the, the transaction uh, will definitely go smoothest if it's owned outright. Um, a little simpler, obviously, with the loan. Um, and, and uh, you know, depending on what lease company they have will certainly determine, like, the ease of transaction. But all those things all need to be navigated differently. And that's where uh, we've really done a lot of work to provide guidance in that. That's, like, probably one of the biggest uh, areas of uh, of work that we've put time into is making sure that people understand what to do when to make sure that that transaction goes smoothly. Yeah. So some of the appraisers journals will simply state that anytime there's savings in a home, that it, it adds value to the house. In other words, if the operating costs of the home go down, then the value of the house necessarily should be higher than totally. another home, all other things being equal. And so um, a lot of those appraisers, appraisers journals will give you know, any dollar of annual savings, um, an attributed increase to the appraisal value of anywhere from $10 to $25 uh, 
the Lawrence Livermore Berkeley Lab study that I read is the one that appraises journals have sort of like honed in on in terms of renewable energy savings. So if you've made energy renewable upgrades to your home, you should be able to recoup the cost equal to $19.47 times every dollar of annual savings. And so uh, and and why does that matter? Well, if you take the if you take the example of a lease or a PPA, for example, um, and it cuts your bill by fifty percent, shouldn't that then increase the value of the home relative to other houses? That's one of the arguments you'd make. And 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 a real practical example of that would be if you take a look at Orange County. So in Orange County, you've got this city, Anaheim, who has its own local municipal power, Anaheim Power. And all of the surrounding cities get their energy through Southern California Electric, SCE. SCE happens to be one of the most expensive utility companies in the country and happens to be two to three times more expensive, depending on how much electricity that any home uses compared to Anaheim Power. So if you live in Anaheim Power, you might be paying 10 to 12 cents per kilowatt hour. If you live literally right next door in Orange County, you might be paying you know, 30 to 40 cents per kilowatt hour on average. And homes in Anaheim actually get an appraisal lift by virtue of the fact that the the cost of ownership of that home is lower relative to an equivalent home literally across the street. So there's a, it's a complicated thing. The problem is, is appraisers don't know the difference between you, you ask the question, what's a solar lease? But appraisers don't know if you have a solar lease right. or loan or a yeah. PPA or a third party owned system or a, a loan. And so they're just sort of like guessing a little bit. And And when I had my own home appraised, uh, on one of the homes that I was selling that that I had had at solar, uh, it was it, it almost felt like a negotiation with the appraiser to try to get uh, the appraised value to to represent what I felt like solar should have been uh, in the system. Have you have you seen some of that as well in some of the work that you've done where people are having to negotiate yeah. with appraisers? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's where what we like a lot of what we do. So like I've got um, so what a lot of what we've done is put together reports and guides to to help through this process. Um, and, and the, and the key always, and this is why you said like a negotiation when it's a homeowner, when it's a real estate agent who has interest in that transaction where, you know, Dave, you're like, dude, this is my equity on the line. I'm going to fight for this. And that's good. You should, as a homeowner fight for your equity, but the appraiser sees that as you fighting for your equity. So you're not a disinterested third party. And so they don't, it's like, it's a, it's a negotiation. And that's really where, um, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like there, when you look at cost, operating costs, anytime when it's going to be lower, you should have a higher value. I mean, taking the income approach of appraisal, right? This is just the natural thing. That makes sense. If you put in more efficient insulation, if you put in better light bulbs, whatever the fact, uh, you know, feature is that you put into the home, right? That improves the the uh, the lifestyle, if you will, of the buyer. And therefore, they're probably going to be willing to pay better, uh, pay more for the home and uh, what it comes down to, though, is does the appraiser know, right? And and at the end of the day, you just have a whole bunch of people who don't care nearly as much as you do or probably, you know, as much as we do. It's like, so getting an appraiser to be like, okay, I'm going to sit here and do all the math that I don't even really fully understand, that's the challenge. And so that that's what Spark does is we do all that math. We provide all this third-party validated uh, like or disinterested third-party data to them, you know, whether it's through the homeowner, through their real estate agent, but to make sure that they understand it and they don't have to go through and do that. You know, like there's, you know, the appraisal institute has got, you know, we create these appraisal addendums and stuff that show, okay, you've got not only solar, but you've got these other 20 features in the home. 
that can appreciate the value of the home. This is what that economic impact is. And at the end of the day, an appraisal is simply the opinion of that appraiser of the value of that home. And so if you get an individual who wants to contribute that, right, then they will. And the problem is though, again, liability appraisers, it's like CYA, you know, they're, they're trying to cover their own butts. And so if they have that data and they don't use it, they're now liable. But if they don't have that data and they make it up and they don't know what they're doing, they're liable. And so it's all about having the right data. So what steps or what process have you gone through as an organization with Spark to try to get um, certainly um, the work that you're doing in terms of the reports that are put out uh, to be accepted? Uh, first of all, you have to validate that they're accurate and true. And second of all, that they get that they get accepted by appraisers and real estate agents and real estate companies and even home buyers that are looking to purchase homes. What, what sorts of steps have you gone through there? Yeah, that's that has really been, you know, why this has been, you know, like, you know, you may have solar, you may be an installer, you probably, maybe you know, know about Spark, maybe you don't. Um, but the, the challenge really is market validation. So the things that we've done is we've gone through and we've got, you know, the licensures to be able to, um, you know, provide data in the states that we work in. That's, 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 you know, key. But at the end of the day, do we use the documentation and the data that they want and the formulas? And so, so what it comes down to usually is does Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you know, does the FHA, do they accept this in the secondary market? Because the appraiser's job, he's not to represent you as a seller or as a buyer. He represents the bank. He's got to make sure that the bank can sell that in the secondary market, right? And so those organizations, we make sure that we are compliant with the way that they want to do things. And so we provide our documentation and create... Um, uh, and our algorithms are based off of um, the acceptable methods that they allow. And so the like some of our 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 key tools look really good and they're very consumer friendly, right? And so we like obviously put some nice window dressing so that way a buyer can easily consume that data. But at the end of the day, there's some core backbone data that is largely driven from um, you know these uh, studies and and the accepted uh, basically principles and. One of the hard things is getting people to uh, agree on accepted appraisal principles, right? Because you got 50 different states, you got a million different appraisers out there, and they all want to use their own process and method. And so we try and stay as close to the guidelines that are accepted across the board by the highest authorities, which are these organizations that ultimately buy the paper at the end of the day. And so for us, it's about making sure that we do that. And then we try and align ourselves with the professional organizations. Um, like we have a, a relationship, a partnership with a national appraisal company that when they do a solar home, they use our reports because it's really like the only tool out there available that's provided from a disinterested third party that can actually validate this information. And so it's just universally they use it on their 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 appraisers appraisals. But again, this is one of those things that it's like there's a little bit of a grassroots effort to get this up and really get this used uh, universally. But um, What's important for us to be able to really have the validity in the way that we're doing it is that we do try to align ourselves and make sure that we are sticking to as many of the guidelines that have been set forth by these these largely the governing organizations. Yeah, and speaking in in mostly general terms, but as specific as you can get, uh, what is what are the general sort of um, considerations or what you generally expect? the impact the home value to be if you have solar versus if you didn't have solar 
And I would think about that in the context of two things. One, speed to install. That matters a lot. When you when it's time to sell your home, you want it to sell as quickly as possible. And the second is in the context of price. And price largely does drive it. Um, so uh, the, again, talking about the Berkeley, Berkeley National Institute, they're an awesome organization. They yeah. have like fostered a lot of studies. Now they're studies that are sponsored by the Department of Energy. So they're federally sponsored studies. The Berkeley National Institute is not a federal organization. They just get grant money to do what the federal government is looking for data on. And so um, they've done two studies around um, the value of solar as it compares to the value of a home in a real estate transaction. Um, and they presented an equation in that. Um, and then they also do, you know, they, they provide a report called Tracking the Sun Every Year that tracks home price, uh, or not home price, but solar average install price across the country. And, and, and that's largely where we base our data on. So when we look at this and we're providing um, contextual information, we're, that's where we're pulling it from. So we look at um, when the studies were done, and, and so the, the fact of the matter is like we there is a, a calculation of a price per watt, um, taking a little bit of a discount percentage off of that, usually around 10% is pretty standard for that um, of the current year installed solar with a depreciation then year over year based off of that, um, you know, of the de deficiency of the system. Um, and so if you know, Illinois has got a current higher year versus, you know, Florida or whatever, you know, you're going to have a variance in that value. But it's largely based off of, uh, you know, the uh, the current average price. And what's interesting is since 2016, there's a lot of marketing out there that shows the cost of solar decreasing since then. There's actually been a slight rise in the cost of solar since then. And when you look at residential solar, the cost has not gone up a lot, but you know, we're seeing nationally an average install price just over uh, a nationally installed uh, price per watt of around 415 uh, is kind of where we're at currently, where it was at like 390 back in 2016. But when you factor in your uh, utility scale solar, yeah, there's definitely a decreased cost and that has definitely come down. But that's not like for like that's an apples and oranges comparison. Right now, I'm obviously preaching the choir to you. But, you know, what the challenge is, is, you know, the, the soft cost of putting on the solar system is half of the hard cost or, you know, it's about pretty, pretty comparable. You know, your non equipment based install costs are about comparable for your actual equipment costs. And so as we see a price of labor going up, you know, the different um, embargoes that were put on solar panels, all of those impact the price of solar, not to mention, you know, the bond market and the cost of solar lending, you know, uh, we're seeing that increase. And so. You know, we are seeing a small price increase. It's not dramatic. Um, and you can certainly get so solar at a cheaper price than that. This is just talking national averages. And some states are higher, some states are lower, you know, but it definitely um, will depend on market. Um, and so when we're using these equations, we're looking at that. But it does definitely, it can be equated to system size um, and really what's happening with the uh, economic situation with the current uh, price of installs. No, I think that's absolutely right. In fact, California still remains the most expensive solar in the world. So if you get solar, residential solar installed in California, you're going to pay more in California than you will anywhere, anywhere else in the world. And, and I, I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate that. You know, usually you think about a technology, generally there's a curve. Moore's law is oftentimes referred to. 
But uh, there's a curve usually that's downward trending where it says things are going to get less expensive over time, but you're right. So some of the soft costs, some of the tariffs, some of the uh, labor costs, and certainly recently the finance costs have really uh, been holding the cost of solar higher in a lot of these markets yeah. on the resi side. That's absolutely been the case. The benefit, however, has yeah. gotten better as well because the utility companies have also been increasing their costs. So uh, while solar has been close to the same price, the utility rates have been increasing their rates. So the the value or the benefit to the homeowner actually has gotten better over that same period of time as well. Um, and I actually expect we are going to see some pretty big increase or decreases to cost uh, to the to the overall costs uh, made uh, made possible in part through the Inflation Reduction Act. And and it's going to have two impacts, particularly on what you work on with Spark, is you are going to see an increased number of third-party-owned systems because the tax benefits are better for these third-party-owned systems than they are for the residentially. Yeah, there's definitely a correlation between the two of when the tax credit went down versus the decrease there. So I, I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're already seeing in 2023 an uptick in the number of the third-party-owned systems, the leases and PPAs. We expect that will go up even more as additional guidance comes out uh, as it relates to the domestic um, the domestic content, there's an additional tax credit for domestic content. So if you're making systems with uh, domestically sourced materials, and then there's a second one uh, for a handful of low-income zip codes in low-income areas, which I'm actually thrilled about. Um, I've thought for a long time that even though we're only at a 3% market penetration, um, it's been a product that's been more available to the middle and upper class just because uh, some of the lower class individual or low, lower income classes haven't been able to take full advantage of some of those tax credits, but um, they're now going to be able to um, be able to take advantage of those with the transferability of those tax credits, as well as additional tax credits um, that are further going to reduce the cost of solar in many zip codes across the country, which is I'm thrilled about. I think it's fantastic that more people will have access to renewable energy, generally speaking, uh, and that the cost of solar is going to be coming down for those people as well. So it's it, those, are, those are all good things. It does, however, complicate the equation in terms of how do you assess the value uh, of solar sure. to the end user and at the time of a real estate transaction. What, what's interesting and what I love about solar, and to, to me, like my drive or, you know, that like has really like, because this, to be honest with you, is not, I, I would make a lot more money had I just stuck on the solar sales side. That's where there's a lot of money in that industry. And I, and that's a great industry, probably be a lot better off financially if I had just stuck with that. Um, but I love solar. Like, I think it's an incredible thing. But one of the great things about solar is the maintained value. You know, you look at the long-term reduction in production and the studies behind it and the the systems that are of age. So you look at systems that were installed in 19 early 1980s, right? Still producing in 2018 92% of original production, right? And so you know, we're seeing a much higher retention in value than what's estimated in terms of production. So when we look at the depreciated value, solar's not dropping like this in value, right? It's actually retaining its value very well. And so the cost increasing going up is not necessarily a bad thing for the industry because all costs are going up for one, but we're seeing that the reciprocation and that the, the solar retaining its value and not dropping in the way that it's producing um, allows for a product that you know, for 50 years, it's very likely going to be sitting on the roof producing and doing very well for the home. And so, you know, we're looking at a product that in the long term uh, will serve homeowners for decades to come. And so it will retain its value because 
you know, it has so much economic value over the long term. Yeah, I think that there's an admission by most people that we're expecting more and more homeowners to go solar. In fact, one of the things that I think has been fantastic or fascinating is Zillow, obviously the site, but well known for appraising home values and it's given homeowners access to, to be able to go and take a look and track kind of what the neighborhood values are. Um, it's been a really fantastic resource for many homeowners that are considering or looking into selling their homes. And obviously uh, there's a little bit of variability or a little bit of noise in that data at times. And so it's not a perfect assessment of the value. But one thing sure. that Zillow has started to do recently, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is they've started to say, hey, the sun is a resource and the way that your home is built and the amount of access that you have to that resource, the sun, uh, you, you deserve value for that. And so the, the, uh, the ability for that home to go solar is assessed on Zillow and they're actually giving a value, a monetary value to homes that, that don't have solar in terms of if, you, if this home were to go solar, uh, sun is a resource and you should be able to get the value of that. So your home is really well situated. It's got a great roof for solar. And we're going to give your home increased value just by virtue of the fact that when you go solar, which for most people or many people is an inevitability, uh, you're going to be able to benefit from solar more than other people would. And so there's actually a blip or an increase to the appraised value of homes uh, just by virtue of the fact of, uh, that they have better solar access or sun access than other homes do. Um, and so something that uh, even people that don't have solar um, in the real estate transaction now are actually starting to, and I, that hasn't showed up at the appraiser level, but certainly at Zillow, it started to show sure. up uh, as well. What's, what, are your, what are some of your thoughts on that? Or is that something that you've seen and has Spark talk about that much or at all? Any, in any value situation, value is perceived, right? So if a home buyer perceives a home as more valuable, that's why we see a swing in the market. Any anytime there's a change in the market value, it's it's based off of a buyer's avail, uh, you know, willingness and able ability to buy at a, at a certain price point, right? And so, yeah, as as we look at these areas and we see, like you were talking about, you know, utility costs are going up significantly, um, you know, across the board. There, is, you know, we've seen actually the last couple of years some of the biggest increases in utility costs. Uh, across the country. Um, anyways, it's it's any any opportunity to do that uh, to to save and and um, you know is is a, is a is a huge benefit. What I what I and so anyways, I consider myself more of an uh, economic environmentalist. So I look at things in terms of like really I I want to see the environment do better, but I also want to make sure that it's not going to be at the cost of the individual. Uh, but that's why I love solar is you've got something that is a perfect marriage between the two. Um, but what I like is organizations like Zillow, organizations, um, like, you know, Freddie Mae, Fre uh, uh, the FHA, there are a lot of these big organizations that are really working to find ways to get behind, uh, the sustainability movement and work toward like providing resources and validity to the direction that we're moving, uh, in the green industry. And so, yes, there is certainly uh, an, an, an attribution to that. And so the reason I bring that up is because we're seeing now there are significant loan products out there available to homeowners. When you go to buy, if your home doesn't have solar, uh, FHA has got a really cool program, but it's like, a, I think they call it the all-in-one loan. But basically you can finance uh, up to, um, it's like, I think it's 10% of the home in, energy improvements on the home. So solar, batteries, uh, other energy improvements on the home. 
but they're, and again, I, I'm trying to remember what the percentage off the top of my head is, but so don't, don't quote me on that. But there, there are, uh, most of these organizations have loan products though, that are built for like what you're talking about, a home that's like positioned for this because they understand that buyers are looking for ways to improve the home. And there's almost no better way to do that than uh, finding a way to um, get uh, that that home more efficient and save more money in the, over the long term. So there's definitely increased value. When we look at that, that again, we have to look at in terms of resale and with the appraiser. Um, so we don't necessarily attribute that value, but there is um, a huge demand for this. Like we actually have, you would think like with Spark that are ordering our reports, we have almost as many home buyers asking for this data as sellers. And so like uh, as often as a seller comes to us and says, hey, I need this report so I can get this value back. We have a buyer that says, I like this home, but I need to understand it. So we're seeing a huge move from buyers wanting um, a greener, better, more efficient, uh, sustainable home. And that certainly shows up in, you know, organizations like Zillow, organizations like these lending institutions. Um, but really what it comes down to at the bottom, at the end of the day, buyers want it. Yeah. So give us a sense if a buyer, so obviously Spark, we've already identified, focuses on the homeowner post-solar or the impact to a home post-solar. So if a homeowner wanted to work with you, what, 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 what would be the use case or how would that look? Yeah. So with us, um, one of the things that we do is, so an energy audit or an energy evaluation is the, is the key. Um, that's something that we've been worked really hard in simplifying. Uh, you used to have to have an auditor come out to the home and measure the thickness of your walls and, you know, seal up the home. Uh, and you could certainly do that. And there's still validity to that. I'm not, I'm not I don't want to downplay um, the value of an energy audit. But what we've done is we've, we've really tried to simplify the data gathering process um, because we used to send someone out to do it in person. And then we would do a video call. We've actually simplified it quite a bit now to where someone can answer a few questions, take a few pictures for us on our platform uh, and be able to submit that. And we can, from that, quantify the data to be able to provide that. And so that's something that uh, if somebody wants to jump in and really like understand, uh, like how much solar do I need? Or if I'm going to drive an EV, how much is it going to save me? Uh, they can just go to our site, uh, spark.inc and request an uh, uh, one of our uh, home energy uh, reports, and we'll give them that data, something we provide for free. Um, and so that way they can see what that looks like and they can know, okay, my solar is worth this now um, anyways, or I, I might need this much solar. So this is not something with the intent to sell them solar, but again, to provide quantifiable data uh, behind their ability to understand what's going on with their home. Because that same data is what it's utilized to do the valuations because um, you know, they're synonymous. And so there's a reason why Spark doesn't sell solar. You know, there's a reason why we take care of, you know, our focus on is really understanding and providing context to that. Uh, but yeah, basically going to our site and uh, jumping in and really looking at the ability to um, just understand your home, you know, before you're going into the transaction, that's really the key is, is, is knowing that information beforehand. So it sounds like you're looking at more than just solar in terms of the impact or energy efficiency of the house as well. What are some of the other big drivers? Obviously, uh, for most homeowners, the way the biggest thing that they can do to reduce their energy costs as well as to, to, to reduce their carbon footprint is by, in fact, going solar. The home is the biggest consumer and emitter of carbon, uh, big, biggest consumer of energy and emitter of carbon uh, compared to all other things, cars being second, transportation being second. 
But what are the other things that you look at if a homeowner was really trying to figure out how to reduce their carbon footprint, but also increase uh, the, the sustainability of their home and the efficiency of their home? What are, what are, what's the kind of second and third things that you think have the biggest impact? Yeah. You know, there are, I think that there is a priority uh, for, you know, energy efficiency and looking at the, the, the pricing of solar and whatnot. And, and it actually kind of falls a little bit further down the list. It can, it can like wipe everything else out the need for it. Like you said, I, 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 so the term I like is green assets, right? So green assets are anything that can reduce your consumption without decreasing lifestyle, right? So you can replace an air conditioner like, uh, you know, you can replace a low 10 seer air conditioner with a 16 seer air conditioner, and you can drop your bill by, you know, 40 bucks a month for per se, right? Uh, but there's some cost to that, right? And so we don't typically recommend that unless there's a need. And if there's a need, then certainly it's worth, you know, a little bit uh, more because of the long-term benefit of that. Um, but we look at about 20 different things. So from the simplest of things as ceiling fans, you know, you can you can drop the temp, the feel of a room by two degrees by running a ceiling fan versus not, right? Because, and you don't want to run a ceiling fan when you're not in a room because the room doesn't care how it feels, but you care how it feels. And so you can raise your temperature a little bit and get the same net impact, right? But for sure, you know, your simple things, daily light bulbs, smart thermostats, um, you know, they, you know, some other uh, window treatments, but Number one thing that I always recommend that is usually deficient, you know, some of the newer homes have this, but is attic insulation. You know, if you're going to do anything to your house and make a biggest impact, attic insulation is one of those things that, especially if you're in a high, uh, you know, if you're in Orange County, maybe not as much. Uh, but if you're in a, uh, you know, I live in Arizona, right? So if you're in a more, a colder or a warmer climate, either way, you're going to see quite a, a big impact because you've got a significant temperature difference between your attic and your home. And your air conditioner's job is to regulate that temperature. And if you have this much insulation between you and that temperature difference, you know, in Arizona, it'll get up to 160 degrees in the attic and you're trying to cool down to, you know, 75, 80 in the house, that's a significant delta. And so your air conditioners are gonna work overtime. But if you just put in the recommended level, when I say recommended, I'm just talking about the Department of Energy, you know, you know, instead of six of insulation, you know, you got 18, now you've got a significant barrier between you and that heat barrier. Anyway, so that's probably across the board what we find the number one thing is attic insulation and people are oblivious to it because they don't go up in their attic. They don't know. But most people are totally deficient in attic insulation and it's a really low cost to beef up your attic insulation to, for the return on that investment. But there are about 20 of those things. And that's when someone does one of our, uh, uh, our, our, our home energy reports, um, we kind of give what that is and what the the net impact of that is financially uh, for them. So that way they can see like, oh yeah, I, I can see the benefit of putting in this attic insulation. It's going to drop my bill by $27. Like we, let's do that, you know, or whatever it might be. But there are um, certainly a priority of that. Um, but certainly solar is the apex of all of them. You know, it's, it's going to top them all because it can wipe out everything else as long as you've got either batteries or good net metering plan. Yeah, traditionally you have solar companies, you have insulation companies, you have HVAC companies. Uh, There's gonna be a movement and made, in, made uh, uh, forced in part by this Inflation Reduction Act uh, because now uh, heat pumps have huge rebates on them. There's insulation, big rebates on them. And so doing a full energy audit for a homeowner is actually becoming increasingly the responsible thing to do for homeowners. So a lot of people will say reduce 
before you replace, you know, so you want to make sure that you're reducing your consumption before you start just replacing a bunch of consumption. And, and I think that there's a place for that. But when you're looking at it from a pure financial perspective, we talked about, you know, doing an air conditioner going from something that's a 10 sear to something that's far more efficient, like a heat pump or a better air conditioner. Um, those things are going to cost thousands and at times even tens of thousands of dollars. Insulation you can usually do for um, with some of the rebates that are available out there at, at times as low as in the hundreds of dollars. And it can pay for itself just in an energy efficiency in just a, you know one or two short years. Uh, there's oftentimes local um, rebates through the utilities as well that, that certainly need to be explored. And, and certainly we don't have the time uh, to yeah. go through each of those on this call. Uh, but but for sure, there are lots of energy efficiency things, and, and we should expect to see, particularly with solar customer or with solar companies that have a 25-year relationship with the homeowner, uh, that they're going to be considering things like, hey, you're going you're gonna to need an EV charger. We're electricians. We can help you out with that. We're going to need to figure out how to change or modify the way that you consume electricity. A heat pump probably might make sense. Insulation is a great way or a fantastic way to make your heat pump or your air conditioner be far more efficient. And so I'm expecting you're going to see a lot more solar companies, a lot more energy companies thinking about things outside of just the solar and it's really a better service to the customer as well and and should make your job in assessing the value uh the energy value a lot better as we get more efficient because there's not really a standardized energy audit that happens everyone has different versions of an energy audit that's right, right. Now, so yep now have you worked with in the past any companies like uh that provide certifications um uh, and and in trying to assess the value of getting these different you know platinum diamond level certifications with some of these uh, different uh, um, energy efficiency companies? You know, um, we have a little bit. Uh, what it comes down to is what that data is showing is that the home has got, you know, some improvements on that. Um, I actually personally don't love the platinum diamond level because it's too um, vague, right? It's like, what does platinum mean? I don't know. It's, it's a cool color. That's a cool metal. Uh, but what does that mean for my house? What does the term net zero mean? What does that stuff even mean? So what we've tried to do is put everything into context in terms of dollars and cents. You know, if it doesn't have a context to it, then it's really, you know, the, if, if probably I'm sure you've heard the term greenwashing, but it's really easy to greenwash stuff based off of, hey, this is green. But if something is out of context, you know, if you're like, oh, I've got this and it's like, hey, what does that mean? Like, I don't know, but I have that. You know, I've got... uh I've got a, a, a net zero home or I've got a her score of this, which I don't, I'm not bagging on those at all. I think that those are great because it builds consumer confidence in this industry and this product. And it's, so it's, it's important. But I think that um, we've actually, we initially looked at that. Should we have a score? Should we provide some sort of a rating system? And we quickly got away from that because the feedback was always, what does your score mean? Can you, can you put that to me in dollars and cents. And so like, literally that was the question. This is great, but what does that mean? And so we're like, okay, let's stop doing it. So we've worked on that, but we do definitely, um, you know, appreciate the work that they're doing because it validates that. And so, you know, again, hers, there's other great companies out there that provide context around those upgrades. I think they're important. You know, you mentioned something too. I think one of the biggest challenges that we're going to face around energy are EVs and, and really like where that's going. Um, I think that they're, you know, you look at the average, you know, home that the amount of miles that they drive, um, you know, what the energy demand for that is compared to what the home is, that it's actually pretty similar. So to power your home and drive an EV, they're about the same cost. And so with that move toward EV, 
you know, solar, that's why I say, that's why I say it's the apex because it has the ability to help someone move toward energy independence in a way that nothing else can. And so a higher production level is really important. And, and, and a more distributed energy is going to be even more important because we're already seeing like in Texas last summer, they outlawed or the governor banned all public EV charging because their grid was too strained. And you look at their market penetration with EVs, it's very little. And so we're going to see by more and more EVs are causing a problem, but they have an opportunity to fix that problem because they're driving the cost of batteries down. And the more people that have solar and batteries on their home, the less strain we have on the grid. And so it's one of those things that there's challenges there, but there's a lot of benefits that are going to come with that as well. And so like, I love, you know, Tesla, I love EVs and what they're doing, but I also know, you know, that's a lot of the challenges that we're facing are, are largely driven because of the increased uses that we're, we're seeing in electricity across the board. Yeah, but I think the, the key points there are, one, there is an opportunity for homeowners to become energy independent. And uh, there's nothing that you can do that's more impactful in terms of reducing your carbon footprint than first going solar for your home and secondarily driving EV, but char charging and powering it with the solar that you have on your house. And so, you know, the typical home, let's just say a California home might use 10,000 annual kilowatt hours. A typical car that drives 10,000 miles is going to use somewhere uh, around 2,500 uh, to 3,000 kilowatt hours to drive those 10,000 miles. And so, um, you know, if you have a household that's driving 20,000 or 30,000 miles, obviously you need to have a lot more solar for that. But but we can size these systems. There's more than enough roof space. Solar is more than uh, more than assisted, more than more than powerful enough to power your vehicles. And and I tell you, there's nothing more liberating. Uh, for a homeowner than being completely energy independent, you know, cutting all, you know, cutting off all need to go to the gas station by being able to charge your home or charge your car at home with the solar that's on your roof, being able to power your home with the solar that's on your roof and not having to ship it. You know, a lot of people uh, that listen to this uh, podcast know that I grew up in a coal mining town in eastern Montana. So I watched coal get dug from the ground, put into a mine, and then it promptly shipped a thousand miles to Seattle to power Seattle. And, uh, you know, uh, now I'm still surrounded by power, but the difference is I have solar panels on my own home that power my home and, and I'm self-sufficient. Um, and it's just, uh, and, and have a level of energy independence that, uh, that, that certainly the people in Seattle didn't have when they were relying on coal coming out of the ground in Montana to be able to turn their lights on. And so that's, it's, it, those are two, two huge steps homeowners can take, um, outside of the, the, the complexities of selling your home outside of some of the things associated that we're dealing with now, just a better way. I'm a huge proponent of it. And, and to me, mm -hmm. so we, we put on the batteries, we put on, we drive, I, you know, I've got an EV We're we're, you know, we're completely energy independent where I'm at. And we, that's like probably one of our, my biggest initiatives outside of just helping the real estate transaction is helping facilitate that, help people move toward it. It's really important. Like you said, um, but what's amazing though, is the savings that can be generated from coupling totally. your EV with your solar you know, can really, uh, you know, the, the, the savings add up so quickly that it, you know, in, in some cases it pays for the EV. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's thousands of dollars of savings. Thousands. Yeah. That's one of the things when they do the, uh, our, our, uh, report is we give them how many solar panels they would need what they drive an EV and what the savings are. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to see over a 10 year time period, someone save 30, 40, $50,000 when they power their EV with their, with their solar. It's amazing. Yeah, in fact, I would say it's uncommon to see a homeowner yep. not save tens, twenties, thirty thousand dollars by well, by power. Your cost, yeah. your cost per mile is so much lower with the sun versus pulling it out of the ground. It's it's ridiculous. 100%. It's a no brainer when you actually see the data. Yeah, well, Cora, I'd love to get as a long term veteran in the solar industry. What are your big and bold claims 
and big, bold predictions for the solar industry over the next handful of years? You know, I think that we're going st- to we're still looking at significant growth. I think that uh, we're going to see, you know, the projections of us going from, you know, we're coming up on 3.5 million solar homes, you know, hitting 12 million by 2030. I think we're 100 percent on track for that. I think that there is going to be, again, with the in- increasing utility costs, uh, you know, it's like there it's it's better than ever to go solar. And so for sure. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see a much larger market penetration and we're now getting out of that early adopter and it's becoming more mainstream. And so, and especially in markets that, again, nationally, electricity a few years ago was 12 cents a kilowatt hour nationally. You know, obviously you said California higher, but nationally we're at 16 cents now. We've seen the biggest jump over the last few years than we've ever seen. And what that means is, you know, the price equality to save on solar is far more uh, readily available across the board. And so, yeah, universally, we're going to see, uh, I think, just a greater and greater level of adoption uh, because simply the economics are there. And and, uh, and again, environmental awareness and sustainability, I think, is such an important topic that everybody's trying to address. So I think we're going to see really great adoption over the, uh, at least over the next decade. Uh, and I think that they're like rooftop solar. I, you know, I like utility scale solar, but I think rooftop solar is the most important technology that we're trying to adopt. Um on any home, right? I, I think the home is a very important piece of technology and there's no better way to upgrade that home by putting solar on it. Yeah, well, Corey, thank you so much for coming on. I tell you, it's a, it's a pleasure to speak to someone that's an industry veteran as you are. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to, as are many of our listeners going to be looking forward to this, uh, your, your, most, uh, your newest book that's still forthcoming and coming out. You're already a published author. Um, obviously, any of, the, any of the listeners that want to check out Spark can go to spark.inc. Um, they can get their own free report as a homeowner. Um, I'm certainly going to be doing that to get my own free report um, and then figure out ways that I can actually work with Spark. Additionally, outside of that, as a professional side of things as well, uh, you can, of course, check out uh, um, uh, your podcast as well, the Solar po- the Solar Broadcast um, as well. And I would strongly encourage listeners to do that. Uh, there, you know, I would love to have talked about a lot of the charity work and a lot of the uh, work that you do outside on a personal uh, level as well. So, Corey, it's been just absolutely fantastic having you come on and, and be an expert talking to us about this really important component of solar that a lot of people don't think about. They only think about the savings pieces. What happens in the future when I have to go sell my home? It's great to know that the industry has a resource like Spark and like you to help navigate that. Thank you so much, Corey. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dave. Appreciate it. It's awesome talking to you. <laughs>